welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Preck. And today our guest is Wakefield Lee. And Wakefield is a principal at Meridian Real Estate Partners, specializing in commercial and residential real estate. And with 10 years of experience at the institutional level, he's played a key role in sourcing due diligence and asset management of billion dollar real estate projects across the United States. So Wakefield, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much, Eileen. Happy to talk with you on here. All right, Wakefield, can you start off by sharing a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Sure. So I'm going back to undergraduate studies. I'm from Los Angeles area and I went to USC locally, University of Southern California, studied finance and I figured, okay, what can I do with this career? I can go into a finance job, typical pathway, or I can try something like consulting. So I actually tried to do finance. I worked at Sony Pictures Studios and I thought, oh, this would be a cool place to work at, entertainment. And then I realized a lot of it was accounting and it was really boring for me. So I said, okay, time to make a pivot. So my other opportunity was in consulting and not just general consulting, but specifically in real estate. And the pitch there was, hey, you can learn a lot about commercial real estate, different companies, you get a lot of exposure and you really get to learn a lot. So as a young person, that stood out to me. And from there, I've just been in the commercial real estate industry for about 12 years. I've worked for consulting companies. I started at PricewaterhouseCoopers. I worked at Brokerage, Marcus & Millichap, CBRE, worked on the investing side. And I've been in a number of different places in the industry and eventually decided to start building a portfolio between me and some partners and eventually start to create more opportunities for people to partner. So you've been working in this industry for 12 years now. How has it changed over time from where you first started to where you are today and the markets and what you're seeing in terms of the real estate sector? Yeah, definitely. Great question. And I think one thing that's really interesting about real estate is that it's changing all the time, right? We can even talk about what happened last month is different from what happened six months ago and 12 months ago. And when I I first started out, so it was coming out of the out of the recession. So in 2008, I was still in college, but the market started to recover after I graduated. And that was just a great boom. That was a boom period, right? So anybody that bought anything 08, 09, 10, 11 did very, very well. Just the market kept appreciating. So that was just a long bull market really until the past few years. And then as you probably know, we got into COVID and that was kind of peculiar, a little strange market when people are at home and then real estate values just kind of skyrocketed due to a couple of factors. And then now after that, we're in this period where interest rates are high and have gone up multiple, multiple times. And that's kind of slowing down the market and also creating some challenges. So what I've observed over the past decade plus is that the market is changing, it's dynamic, and you really have to kind of drill down into the specifics of what you're looking at and what your strategy is. Flipping might be good in the past 10 years or so up until maybe a few years ago, or even you can still find opportunities now. And then markets change, right? Market that was really hot a couple of years ago, maybe slowed down or markets that nobody thought about are actually quite good right now. So 
it's a lot to keep track of, but it keeps it interesting and pretty exciting. So at what point in your career, Wigfield, did you start transitioning a little bit more from working in the industry and working for the companies to starting to build up your own portfolio of real estate investments? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I had been working in consulting. As I mentioned, that was my first job out of college and got to learn a lot. And then what I observed is, wow, all these companies like the Goldman Sachs and the JP Morgans, the Black Rocks, they're owning these multi-million dollar buildings. Like how do regular people get into it? I just didn't know myself, even though I was working for them. And I know lots of money went into it. There are lots of investors, just big dollar amounts. And then me as a young person, I just asked like, how does a person get into this? And then I started just searching online and listening to podcasts and trying to figure out, okay, what does an average person do, right? Like I'm so disconnected from these big companies, even though I work with them all the time. And then I found bigger pockets, which I'm sure you know, and lots of people know. And then I figured, oh, wow, like people are, there is a pathway to get into this. You can just start small. And so I kind of used my background at work, working for some of these large projects. And then also just, I started educating myself on how do you buy a, a four unit or a 10 unit or a 20 unit? What does it take to get into some of that stuff? And then I realized too, at work, I was working a lot. I was a young person putting in 50, 60 hours a week. And I just said, well, is this going to be my life forever? And then that was kind of coincided with bigger pockets. And I said, oh, well, real estate's not only cool and interesting, but it's actually a great way to gain better control of your financial future. And so at that point, started to look into markets and then figure out, okay, what's a good market? How do we get into this market? And how do we start acquiring things? It's so interesting. It's an interesting point that you made that even though you're working in the commercial real estate industry, you still didn't really understand how these deals were being made and how people are actually investing into them, even though you're working on them on these significant types of deals until you did your own research and started digging into how do people start affording these types of things? How do you get into these types of investments? So it's interesting. Those two things don't really align actually working in the industry versus actually investing in these types of asset classes. Yeah, definitely. No, it was a great observation. And I just had the same question because as I started working for these companies, they're already well, well established, right? They've been in business for 10, 20, 30 years, just decades. And I had no idea how they got there, right? But all these companies started somewhere. And so me as a person, just asking the question, okay, how does somebody even just own something here? I didn't have a house. I didn't have investments. I didn't have anything. And so, yeah, bigger, bigger pockets, I have to give them some credit, was was a big way of sort of my education. I know that's a helpful resource for a lot of people. And so once I started listening to all of their podcasts, there were you know, lots of successful people on there and started doing some of my own research. And then I sort of like put two and two together, right? So on one hand is the individual investor, the bigger pocket side. On the other hand is what I do for work, these big companies and trying to like bridge that gap and say, okay, how do I put together my knowledge from both of these sources and, and try to put a project together. And so that wasn't immediate, did a lot of research on markets and looked at a lot, a lot of properties before we found something, but eventually was able to make a move. Didn't have a lot of money as a young person. So that was another thing that I had to figure out, okay, who do I partner with? What can I bring to the table? My sweat equity, my personal efforts, calling people, trying to put something together. So that was kind of the process. When you were first initially conducting your market research, how did you know where to start? Because there's so many different markets that you could invest in in the US. 
tertiary, secondary markets and different states? And how do you know where to start or how did you start? Yeah, yeah, great question. And that a lot of people run with, right? Or kind of start with, where do I start? It's so vast. And so for me, at that point, I kind of transitioned to another company. I knew that I wanted to get more involved in transactions because I knew buyers and sellers, or those are the people that are making these deals happen. And I was sort of like on the outside as a consultant, not really seeing in the background, like what's actually happening. And so I, I transitioned to brokerage. I work for this company called Marcus and Millichap. Started doing lots of numbers for them. So I underwrote probably 90 buildings for them. The transaction volume was in the hundreds of millions. And then I knew, okay, like this is how the process works. This is how buyers look at this. This is how sellers look at this. And this is what we're pitching as the broker. Your property's worth this and we can help you sell it for this. At the same time, I started learning how to do market research. And a lot of this is available in bigger pockets as well. But we're looking for a couple of things as we researched, right? The first place that we looked was obviously in the backyard, Southern California. And then looking around, you see cap rates of like three, four, five percent. Sometimes um, negative. Sometimes <laughs> negative. Sometimes negative. And then huge dollar amount to put into these properties for your down payment. And these numbers just weren't working, right? I mean, to your point, like you could lose money once once you buy something. So that was kind of off the table. And so we said, okay, if not here, where can we go? And so started to research probably 10 or 15 markets across the country, Vegas, Arizona, Florida, Texas, lots of markets, and eventually settled on the Midwest. And for a couple of reasons. So one, we were looking for just good ROI. And at the time, the cap rates were, were quite good back then. So eight cap, nine cap, 10 cap. And I was shocked. I said, wow, like, how do these exist? Like, what is this place? And so I had to verify, like, are these numbers real? And long story short, a lot of them were not, but that was <laughs> that was the learning process. That was my first filter criteria because the thinking was, okay, if we are going outside and it's all this work, it's got to be worth the work, right? And so that was that. That was kind of our first filter. And then we figured, okay, this market has to be sturdy though, right? If we're going to put some amount of money in here, we don't want this market to just disappear. So we started looking into the fundamentals of the market, right? So that's the economy. And we started looking at what companies are around there. Is this just one industry of oil and gas? Is it just manufacturing? Is it just one thing? We wanted to avoid that, right? So we wanted diversified economy of healthcare, education, manufacturing, technology, just diverse industries there and job growth. And then with job growth, as I'm sure you know, and a lot of your listeners know, that brings people in. So population growth, at least we are not going to invest somewhere where it's negative. So at least stable and growing at least a couple percent per year. And then the last thing is that we see some type of future potential, right? So what's the ROI? And do we think we can not just buy a property here and then get stuck, right? Can we eventually scale up over time? And that's because for all that work and effort, as you know, in bigger pockets, a lot of that is saying, okay, you know, if you buy a one-off, that's okay. But if you're really trying to kind of build your personal passive income, your portfolio, you need to be in a place that is scalable. And so those were the three or four factors that we looked at. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. 
a podcast is the best way to do both. And we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So then once you establish which markets that you wanted to look in, and for you, you settled on the Midwest markets, how did you establish your presence, especially not having investment experience prior to that, but you did have, you worked at Marcus and Millichap, the brokerage, you had a lot of commercial real estate education in your back pocket. How did you take that and then establish your presence in this new market? Yeah, yeah, it was not easy. So once we figured out, okay, these are a couple markets that we want to look into and how do we enter, right? How do we get people to take us seriously? So for me, it was a lot of just calls, a lot of calls and a lot of research. So started on LoopNet actually, which some people say that's the place where deals go to die is LoopNet, sometimes true. Looked at a lot of properties on LoopNet, just kept calling brokers. I'd see maybe the same 10 or 20 brokers with a bunch of listings and I would just call them. And they would see my area code from California. A lot of them would just ignore me or I'd try to text them. I'd try to keep following up. And eventually I got through. I got through to a couple people. I didn't really have a script. I didn't really know what to tell them, honestly. Okay, I'm a guy in California. I don't own anything. I don't have any property, but sure, I've got some real estate experience. Please talk to me. I guess I knew enough about like how to talk about stuff. So at least they took me a little bit seriously, but it took some time to build the relationship. So that was three, six plus months in the process of just talking to people, understanding the market, right? So it wasn't immediate, even though we've got these online resources and different things you can look at, it's still different from talking to people that are actually there, right? So various pieces of information, right? So it's just your personal research, that's one. That's like brokers are a second one. Um, you can look at different reports like Marcus and Millichap reports, CBRE reports, so wealth of information out there. So trying to just combine all of this data together and say, okay, is this market good? Like, what are we looking at here? But eventually we started getting some deal flow and just trying to make offers on properties. And it took some amount of time before we made a bunch of offers and we didn't get all of them or we made some offers. And when we went to see the properties, we're like, what the heck is this? This looks horrible. And then that did not work out, lost some deposit money. So it was definitely a trial and error process to get into that market and for people to take us seriously because we weren't there and I didn't have any family or friends or anybody. It was just basically just cold. So after you built up the relationships, you started getting the deal flow and things like that in that market. What changed the trajectory where you were able to get into your first deal and did you do anything differently? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think one of the takeaways is that the toughest one is the first one. Right. And so I think that is like the inertia, right? Once you like get that ball moving, it's a little bit easier to keep it moving. Right. But the hardest part is just like, okay, how do you move the thing in the first place? So once we bought our first property, so we bought a multifamily property and that helped us to establish some credibility. Right. So we went through it, that transaction. It went smoothly for the most part. And then we started to build relationships with those brokers. So at the time, we were able to buy a couple properties off market through that same broker. We bought a couple that ended up working out. And then from there, then we had something to talk about when we were talking with other brokers. And they would say, okay, California person, I don't really know about this. But then we'd say, hey, look, we've got a portfolio of 
a handful of properties and some units. And so that was the credibility builder that helped us establish ourselves and, and get people to take us seriously. So I think that first deal is the tough one. And then once you're established in the market, then it's a little bit easier to get other brokers to talk with you and to share their listings with you and to give you more information and try to build a working relationship with them. So fast forwarding to today in today's market, we hear a lot about people, loans coming due and some other people in different industries within real estate, they're not able to cover their mortgages. You know, there's a lot of turmoil, the interest rates have been rising. And so a lot of times right now, there's a lot of hesitation of getting into real estate. There's a lot more risk or perceived risks as you're getting into the market. For you, what are you seeing and what are some of the ways that you're looking at real estate and your investments and how are you offsetting or mitigating some of those risks that we're hearing about in the industry right now? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's a great point and a great question. And the market is dynamic, right? It's changing all the time, right? Are we going to have more rate increases this year? It looks likely, right? And is that going to cause more turmoil? Most likely. So how do you mitigate that risk? How do you de-risk some of those things, right? What's been in the news is everyone knows about that, that Houston major foreclosure, right? And that's just one that hit the press. But I'm sure a lot of projects like that or similar, maybe smaller, just didn't hit the press and are more coming probably, right? So it's unfortunate and it's hard for people to predict these things. But I think with kind of learning from the experiences and our personal experiences, which we haven't done everything right. Some things have not been the most optimal. We've made some mistakes, wrong property management. We made site offers, site unseen, lots of those things. And that takes time. It takes time to get experience. But I think when you look at other people's projects that are out there, it's also good to learn from other people's experience, right? And so I think getting educated is always one. So knowing if you're partnering, knowing who you're working with, what's their experience, what's their track record, how do they look at deals, right? And I think especially getting a good understanding of underwriting, which is just putting your projections together for a project. Make sure your your debt, debt is a big one. Financing right now is reasonable. And some people are taking on variable, I think still probably less, but you know that's something to keep in mind. Making sure that your term is long enough, for example, on our projects, we're looking for loan terms that are even longer than what we expect to hold, right? If we're doing five years, we want to get it fixed for seven years just in case we need it because the market is unpredictable. You don't want to run into a five-year situation and run into a problem that people are having right now. So I think being conservative on your numbers, your rent growth, make sure it's reasonable, your market rent upside, make sure that's in line and supported. There are markets right now where rent is dropping and it could be flat or dropping and it's not five or seven or 10% like it has been in the previous few years, especially with what the spikes and interest rates have, have slowed things down. So I would say it's good to be cautious. And I think good to not jump into a project until you feel comfortable with it. And then the more you know, the better, right? I think especially now, a lot of GPs, LPs, your project sponsors and your limited partners, especially now is a good time to be educated. And unfortunately, I think in, in the past few years, it's been kind of a rush to get into these projects without maybe properly having all of your knowledge or your background. And, and that's not everybody, but for people that got into projects without knowing all the specifics of how it was done, there could be some challenges. But I think it's just 
knowing what all goes into a project and making sure it's conservative before you get into it, either as a project sponsor or as an investor. So Wakeville, what is next for you? Yeah, for us. So we built up a joint venture portfolio over the past few years, which has been pretty good. And we are looking again to the syndication space and start offering passive opportunities for investors to get a double digit return. We've had some people just say, hey, looks like what you're doing is pretty interesting. And but people don't want to deal with the three T's the tenants, the toilets, and the trash. And so we try to take that burden away from people and are open to partnering on opportunities that can help people to build their wealth and accelerate their retirement over time. So that's the direction we're headed and open to partnering with people and just trying to grow the portfolio. I know for real estate, it's changed my life. And I think it's changed a lot of people's lives. And it's a really great vehicle to be a part of. So I want to be able to share that with more folks out there. So how has real estate investing changed your life, Wakeful? Yeah. So it's changed it in a way where, so for example, my W-2, right? So I still have a W-2 right now and I pretty much have income replacement, I would say. And I'm keeping that because it's a supplement, I guess it's a cushion right now, but eventually, unfortunately in the market right now, you are seeing some turmoil. Some people are getting jobs laid off, but something happens with my job, I've got this passive income that I've built up over time as a cushion. So that makes me feel kind of have a layer of protection. And unfortunately for some of my friends, they got laid off and they don't have that safety blanket. And so real estate has given me that kind of safety, I guess. And I think it's scalable over time. So a lot of people, I think there's really less of a limit than working in like a W-2 job. If you invest, you put the time in, you put the effort in, there's not really much of a ceiling. So that's kind of a nice thing. Uh, Is it easy? No, it's not easy, but there is kind of a nice payoff there. If you're entrepreneurial or you kind of invest with the right partners and get into the right projects over time. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? A lot of things. (laughs) Just one. I think what we've learned is, I mean, I kind of knew this already, but I wish I would have really solidified it better. But property management is super, super key. So even if you think a property manager is good, just test them out on something smaller before you hand them something that is significant. Just there's a lot of property managers and out there and some have a great pitch, but when it comes down to execution, some can do it and some are not so good. So I would say even before you get into a market, maybe you think it's the best market out there, really make sure that there's some solid property management companies out there through referral and have a good track record and things like that. So we run into some issues with property management and now we're in a decent spot, but I would definitely focus on that, put additional focus on that. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Yeah. Well, I think you and I talked about this earlier. You had a deal that's taking <laughs> taking quite some time. So I think it's persistence. It's going to be a lot of trial and error. It's not going to be easy. It takes a lot of patience. You're going to run into... There's a lot of problems out there in real estate. So it's being able to be patient, to be persistent, to be diligent, and try not to give up. Try to be positive about it and see what the end goal is. I guess I'd balance that at the same time with something really doesn't seem like it's working out, maybe cut the cord type of thing. But for the most part, you stick through it. And I think when there's not really a failure, right? They call it, you either learn or you succeed. So that's a mentality that I've learned for some people that I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. And then don't be afraid to get into some of the harder deals because a lot of people 
don't want to deal with it. But those are the deals that could end up being your some of your best deals as well. So that's why we were saying like persistence is key. I think that's great advice. Yeah, get into some deals that people don't want to do because those could be little gems. Those could be gold mines. And to your point, I think having an eye for what makes a deal, right? Because a lot of people might see a project and say, oh, that's overpriced or there's no potential there. And if you've kind of got the right eye for it and the right plan and the right team, you can really identify some value in some projects that people have overlooked. So Wakeville, where is the best place that our listeners can find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah. So our website is uh, meridianrepartners.com, M-E-R-I-D-I-A-N-R-E-partners.com. My email is wakefield at meridianrepartners.com, W-A-K-E-F-I-E-L-D at meridianrepartners.com. And feel free to shoot me an email or go on the website and yeah, happy to connect or help folks. Awesome. Thank you so much for all your time, Wakefield. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Eileen. It was a pleasure. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.